My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Answer. The Beginning. What did we read this week? We read the final part of the Andalite Chronicles. We have now read the entire book. Yay. Do you want to hear what happens in this last book? Yes, I really do. Ted, can you give us a description? So when we last left our hero, Elfangor, he was running out of oxygen aboard a spaceship that had been torn open and living asteroids were eating it. And uh, in the beginning of this part, we learned that they are also falling into a black hole. (laughs) We just needed more things. Elfangor manages to activate the emergency air system, which allows him and Lauren and Visser 32 to recover. Visser 32 says, we're falling into a black hole and we're going to die. And Elfangor's like, I don't care. And Visser says, but what if we use the time matrix to escape? Elfangor's like, how can we trust each other? And they come up with this whole convoluted system of how they're going to get the time matrix back. And Elfangor does it. And then Elfangor and the Visser are going to face off in a fight, but they both decide they're going to rush and try and use the time machine before the other one. And it turns out you use the time machine by, surprise, surprise, touching it. And you you have a battle of wills in terms of where you want to go using the time matrix. So it seems like Elfangor wants to go back to the Andalite homeworld, and Visser 32 wants to go to the Yurk homeworld. It seems like the Visser is about to win, but then Lauren joins in, puts her hand on the time matrix, and starts thinking about Earth. Suddenly, the time matrix activates, and they all wake up uh, separate from each other. At first, Elfangor thinks that he's made it home. It looks like he's on the Endlight homeworld. He's near his guide tree and his parents' scoop, which is what the Endlights live in. He suddenly realizes that the waterfall from the cigarette ad that he saw is also here. And then he looks up at the sky and sees that some of the sky is red and gold, like the Endlight homeworld, and some is blue with white stuff in it, like Earth, presumably, and some is green with lightning in it, which is what the Yurk homeworld looks like. And so the Time Matrix didn't know what to do with three people trying to use it at once, and so threw up its hands, so to speak, and created a whole new universe made up of the Endlight homeworld, the Yurk homeworld, and Earth. This is pretty weird, but Elfangor reunites with Lauren, and soon after that, Visser 3. Visser 3 has brought along some of his pets, which are wheel bat things um, that when Elfangor tries to attack them, they split in half, and then each half grows into a full one. So Elfangor and Lauren run away into an Earth section of this universe, and they find Lauren's house and meet Lauren's mom. And Lauren is at first happy, but it turns out Lauren's mom is actually a pretty poor copy of what Lauren remembers, and it's really traumatizing. So Lauren takes some time to herself and eventually reunites with Elfangor. They visit the end of the world, which is a white void, and they visit McDonald's. (laughs) Then Elfangor realizes that they need to go... The Time Matrix is probably in the center of this universe, and so they race to the center of the universe to try and get there ahead of the Visser, and in the center of the universe there's like a tornado where all this kind of stuff is whirling around, and then they, they go into the center, and there's kind of like an eye of the hurricane moment where they see the Time Matrix, but then... Visser 32 and his four pets show up, and they have another standoff, 
But the Visser chickens out because Alrin doesn't want to go tail to tail with Elfingor after what he's seen. So the Visser runs away, and Elfingor's like, you know, after what I've learned, I don't want to take the Time Matrix back to the Andalites. I just want to escape. I want to be with you. And Lauren's like, that sounds good. So they decide to go to Earth. So Lauren's going to use the Time Matrix to take them to Earth. But something's weird. As they've been going to the center of the universe, they've been aging faster and faster because of some kind of Time Matrix effect. So it's really weird. Like their fingernails and hooves and hair grows at a really rapid rate. And so Lauren realizes that when she goes back to Earth, she's not going to be able to pass for, you know, 13 or 14 anymore. She's now an 18-year-old girl, so she rewrites the entire timeline so that everyone thinks that she's 18 when she arrives. So the way this works is they activate the time matrix and appear on Earth a week after Lauren and Chapman were kidnapped, so preserving the events that led to the led to all of this happening, so they think. And Elfangor basically decides he's done with the war. He becomes a human Nothlet named Alan Fangor. He goes to college and is responsible for the creation of Microsoft and Apple <laughs> inadvertently. Um, and he's just living a normal life. And one day, after about three years pass, the Elemist visits him and is like, yep, I'm real. And he screwed up the timeline. Stuff is happening that wasn't supposed to happen. Visser 32 is now Visser 3, and he's going to win the war if I don't take you right now and get you out into space. And Elfangor's like, gee whiz, I don't want to do this. Um, but the Elemist says, you have to do this. You have to fix what you've screwed up. So Elfangor says, fine, fine, fine. And the Elemist carries him away into space to rejoin the fight. And as he's doing that, he has kind of like Elemist vision where he can see timelines going this way and that way. And he sees that, you know, not only is he leaving Lauren behind, but he's leaving behind his own child. Lauren's just found out that she's pregnant. And he's like, oh no, if we reset the timeline, what's going to happen to my kid? And the Elemist says, I guess, I don't know, it'll just keep Too existing. Late. And so Elfingor can see that in the future, his kid and his brother and four other humans on Earth will reunite and do, you know, do have some grand destiny together. And so then Elfangor appears in space, and he's he's in a fighter ship, and he manages to rescue an Andalite fleet from being destroyed by Visser Three by heroically crashing his fighter into the blade ship and ripping it apart. So Elfangor is immediately made a warrior, and he thinks he's going to be promoted to prince soon, and he confesses everything that he's done to an Andalite captain, and the captain's like, let's just pretend that that didn't happen um, <laughs> and don't worry about it. You're a hero now. And so we fast forward to the beginning of the Animorphs books where Elfangor's fleet gets ambushed in the skies of Earth. The Yorks are finally coming to Earth and uh, he crashes in the construction site, which is uh, where the time matrix had been buried so many years before, but he knows he's not going to be able to get there. And he meets the Animorphs, gives them the ability to morph uh, and encounters his son, Tobias. And he asks him about his mother, and Tobias says, she disappeared when I was younger. I guess she must be dead. And then Elfangor dies. The end. Right. I wanted to talk about Grey's predictions, but I'm just overwhelmed with how angry I am at the Elmist for the ending. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm mad about at the Elmist for like a lot of things in this. Yeah. And I'm excited that we get to talk about them. Yeah. But let's talk about your predictions. You were right about the really big thing. I was. I was correct 
that somehow Lauren and Elfengor were going to have Tobias. And I feel yeah. very proud of that. Well because done. Because I thought it was silly. It was silly. <laughs> we might have tried to lead you towards thinking that was ridiculous, just so you wouldn't be I mean, spoiled. it was ridiculous. It is ridiculous. We should talk <laughs> about it. Point. But it's Tobias, and that's why he doesn't have parents. And his backstory is still really hella sad, but also, uh-huh. um, His dad maybe is Elfengor, but also there's another dad. Let's talk about that at some point. I mean, his dad Elfengor. is definitely Elfengor. Yes, but she has a different mate. And somehow right. it doesn't make any goddamn sense. So it doesn't really explain why Tobias doesn't have parents, because he had two parents, one of whom wasn't really his parent, because apparently this thing where Elfengor had fathered a child was preserved by the Elmist. But, like, what happened to them? We still actually have no idea. Yeah. So it's still very sad. Yeah. I am a little skeptical of the Elemist's ability to, like, magic up a healthy human marriage. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it falling apart? I don't know. It doesn't seem wrong. Yeah, yeah the Time Matrix seemed pretty bad at creating, like, people, so. Sure. Know. And universes. I'm not that, not that the Time Matrix had to create a husband for Lauren, but creating that relationship might have been, yeah. Um, but I was also right that the Time Matrix was going to end up buried in that construction site. Yeah. And I said it was job. very silly that it would end up there. And it was very silly that it ended up, ended up there. He <laughs> buried it in a patch of woods. Just any old random patch of woods. Just pick one. It'll be fine. It was buried under the pyramids for 50,000 years. And you thought, nah, this patch of woods in my backyard is fine. Okay, the pyramids are a terrible place, though. They're always digging around under there. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Apparently, they're always digging around in these woods, too. That's true. Yeah. Um, so it's right about Maybe that. it was really a really large forested area. I was not correct that Lauren died or that Chapman killed her. Chapman was much less a part of this. Yep. Yeah, he really wasn't he in it. He just kind of ran away. Nobody died. Yeah. Arvin's alive. Quick question. <laughs> uh, the title of this Oh, it's about Elfengor's death. An alien dies. Which you were much more right. As soon as you said, like, I think Lauren's the alien who died, I was like, oh, right. Because from Elfengor's perspective, she's an alien. That is a much better conclusion to draw from the title than the idea that Elfengor is the alien. Should have been is. called I Die. <laughs> yeah. He's telling the story. It's a very it's silly title. This He's is the story of how I died. Narrator. It was. Yeah, um, none of the characters die. I mean, yeah. Alrin, Chapman. Except for Elphegor, who dies, as we know. He doesn't really die in this book. He dies. That's true. The book ends before he dies. Yeah. I'm just Thankfully, I wouldn't want to see that from Elphegor's point of view. (laughs) Ooh. Ooh, no. I saw the whiteness of the end of Z's base, and that's what it looked like. Oh, I was thinking about the teeth, but yeah. Um, Okay, so those are my main predictions. (laughs) So your prediction is the time matrix is never used? Not in this book. Okay. You might have been a little incorrect about the Time Matrix never being used. I was tiny bit incorrect <laughs> about the Time Matrix and its use or lack thereof. The Time Matrix was, in fact, used extensively. Yeah, yeah. This was, Ted and I were saying last time that, like, part three was what we really remembered. Like, yeah, this tripartite world mm-hmm. was, like, my main mm. takeaway. Like, and the ending where, like, Elfengor has to go back in space and leave Lauren and his unborn son who he doesn't know about until after the Elemist takes him away, which I'm still furious about and will continue to reference. Great. Uh, but yeah, this this was like the most memorable part of the book, at least, you know, 20 years after right. having read it. That's also what I remember. I remember much less about the Tax and Homeworld stuff. I almost yeah. feel like I remember everything up to Chapman saying, and there's a whole planet full of these, and then they fly <laughs> off into space and create this other world. Like that whole middle section, yeah, I really don't too. remember. Really don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I maybe do that's now, just because I, I guess I remember the Mustang scene pretty clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess that's just a lot of like action and stuff. 
This has the Mustang, a lot of like when we got to it, I was like, oh, right, this. But like when I thought about the End of Light Chronicles in the intervening years, it would have been like them going around this like new world that right. the Time Matrix created. And the drama of like, oh, he got faked out about the Yerks and Aloran and the whole thing about the Yerks and the spaceship. I don't remember it. Like, yeah, no. That didn't make yeah. a big impression on me. I can see that. But there's, I think there's just so much weird sci-fi craziness in this yeah. section. There's a lot of weird sci-fi stuff. And, you know, quotation marks around the science. Uh-huh. science. <laughs> Alright, so having read The Andalite Chronicles, what's your impression, Craig? I am so intrigued that these came out as different books, parts one, two, and three, and it makes so much sense that they did and for the way that they're constructed, because this is its own separate book. Yes, it's kind of nice to know how he ended up in space at the beginning of this, like dying from lack of air, but you definitely don't need to know that in order to enjoy the rest of the story. Mm. Although they aren't the kind of books where you really could pick it up at book three without having read the other two, because like Lauren is not introduced. She's just yeah. there. Right. Um, yeah, part two kind of did a whole recap. Part three didn't. Did not. I guess they figured no one was going to read just part three. Yeah. Yeah, I hopefully Maybe not. they were right. Who knows? But it was, it was interesting. I thought when we got started with the Andalite Chronicles, that it was going to be a lot more about the Andalites, plural, like mm. the Andalite <laughs> homeworld, and, and sort of more about their social... We learn a little aspects. bit. But, yeah, and like yeah. their culture and stuff. And we do learn some, but it's really the Andalite, just that one guy. Yes. Chronicles. Right. The Elfinger Chronicles. Chronicles. Yeah. Yes. It does stand alone in a lot of ways. Not each third, but like the whole mm-hmm. Andalite Chronicles. But it also feels very much like a prequel. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if this were... Just written in a vacuum as like a standalone book. This thing at the end where all of a sudden Elfingor like abandons the life that he built with Lauren as a result of this entire book and goes back to fight the war. And then there's this really important event that happens as a result of like the Animorphs being created. And we don't see anything about that. Like it felt much more tragic than it would have been as a standalone book. And like the ending, you were like, oh yeah, okay, everything is being like shaped here to make the creation of the Animorphs the most important thing. And, like, Elfingor's story is really secondary to that. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that it was, like, narratively standalone, it very much felt like it was in the service of this series. Of that's course a, it was. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's why I was kind of frustrated rereading it. It's really hard for me to think about this outside of the series, mm-hmm. like you were saying. But I feel like the ending is just a big hand wave that kind of gets... It's like, a wave of the Elmer's hand. Yeah, but I was really interested in this question of how does Elfangor grow up to be the person that he is mm-hmm. yeah. by the end of the book. And none of that character growth happens, right? No. That, like this whole thing where he's sort of, he's looking for forgiveness halfway through the book where he talks to his tree and then he he confesses yeah. everything to the Andalite captain. And the Andalite captain's like, I don't know, just pretend you're a hero. And then Elfangor, I guess, happily for years, goes off and does that. But we never see, we don't get any of his thought process about what that war was like. He just says, like, I won some battles, I lost some battles, I was just resigned to being a pawn in the Elemist's game, and I didn't think about it ever again. Right? It's really unsatisfying. And the thing where he had a lot of qualms, it seemed like a lot of qualms were being raised about the Andalite war machine and the Andalite approach to this war, got kind of brushed aside also, because we get to see the moment... When they're, like, touching the time matrix, he can see Aloran's history. He can see the moment when he's like, yes, I'm going to use a quantum virus. And then the moment where he's devastated that it doesn't work. And that makes it very much about Aloran. And you get the Andalite captain at the end being like, yes, we were cadets together. War really changed him. And then he made this terrible choice. And that emphasis is very different than, like, 
maybe the Andalites as a whole are taking some problematic approaches. We do get, you know, Elphimor's like, I'm not giving the time matrix to these people. It would not be safe. Like, that's the only real nod we get to, like, maybe the Andalites are not really perfect. Right. Uh, but it seems like if you take Alarin out of the mix, Elfingor is pretty much fine with the rest of what the Andalites are doing. Right. And so he doesn't have to wrestle with, like, the approach to the war in order to be this effective warrior, which is kind of a letdown. Right. Yeah. You said earlier that it seems more tragic, and I think it, to me, felt actually less tragic, his mm-hmm. his sort of ending with Lauren, that because it was in service to this higher ideal of the war against Yerkes, mm-hmm. that whole part of his life just kind of gets brushed aside. Ugh. And it didn't seem like it was given enough weight. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I think that we should talk about... There are a lot of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Elvist. I want to talk about time determinism. There's just a lot in here that mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's so hand-wavy at the end, I just got to the end and was like, are you... What? Yeah. That's yeah. what we were building up to? And we were building up to, like, Lauren forgetting everything that happened. And I, their relationship not mattering anymore, except yes. for having created this child. And and for all of a sudden, everything in the universe, it, including big events in the lives and battles of entire populations and civilizations, are all pointing towards five teenagers <laughs> and an alien fighting the Yerks, and... I gotta say, I think they should know about that because they are not <laughs> treating this with enough respect. <laughs> this is just, I mean, I, I just think if the entire course of space-time is being rewritten for the Animorphs, they should really be making better decisions. <laughs> hey, they're doing pretty well overall. They're doing fine. Yeah. The entire course of space-time was rewritten for them. They could do better. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually something that I that I don't like about the series as a whole, right? So until this point, the Animorphs are a bunch of kids who, by random crazy happenstance, ended up with these powers. And, you know, because they are such an effective team, they manage to kind of slowly get better and better at doing what they do, right? And then we just learned in book 13 that there's a little bit of, like, Tobias sent himself to the construction site, like, Mm -hmm. time shenanigans going on. But that's not even the least of it. It turns out, like you were saying, there's some kind of destiny that the Alamist has in mind for the Animorphs that's, like, making them all chosen ones in some respect, which is not at all in the DNA of the, like, series that we've been reading so far. Mm -hmm. And it seems, to me, that kind of undercuts the story of a bunch of kids doing the best they can because the narrative is telling us they're the chosen ones so they're Mm -hmm. gonna save the universe at some point and they have this godlike power i mean he's not he's not omnipotent even elfanger says that in this book but they have this godlike power on their side right so the ways in which the elemist is allowed to cheat seem to be pretty significant pretty broad yeah Um, so it's it's unclear what the stakes are for the Animorphs other than suffering to the extent the Elemis deems it necessary. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, that undertone of the Endolite Chronicles and the whole Elemis thing has always kind of bothered me. Yeah. I don't know to what extent it's clear from this book that like they were chosen. 
it's I think it could just as easily be interpreted from this that like the Elemis sees that this happens and it is important and therefore has to like make sure it happens or something. Well, it's the shining timelines, right? Yeah, yeah. Just their timelines are the shining ones. He's seeing everyone's <laughs> this, like supernova timeline. burst of them coming together. And then there are these these shining ones. It reminded me yeah. a little bit of uh, like in Wrinkle in Time, right? They talk about there are always bright ones who are fighting against the dark. Oh, and okay. Are, I actually really like that. Yeah, and, and here we have <laughs> we have the bright lines that are fighting against the dark. Fine, yeah. they're the chosen ones, but it does mean that they're not just any of us teenage kids picking up this book. Or is it that they became this because they happened to be at that construction site, and the choices they made from there made them this bright light in the universe. Right. Well, I mean, from the construction of the series, that is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. In the, the first chapter of the first book, it was these kids with this alien in the construction site. And yeah. so writing a prequel, they have to say, okay, well, we kind of wrote the characters into this alternate universe. <laughs> and so now we need to say, hey, for the Animorphs to happen, we need to kind of do all this other stuff, right? So mm-hmm. they're making that... Pretty explicit in how <laughs> everything turns out. But it's kind of the same thing. The Elmist is like, well, all of this other, all of the potential futures that Elfangor and Lauren's timeline could have had are somehow objectively worse than the one where the Animorphs get the morphing powers. Well, the Elmist has all this language he keeps using, like, Lauren was meant to marry a human man. Like, you were meant to be here. Like, what is that referring to? Is it like meant, like, in that, like, there is one predetermined destiny for the universe, or, like, the Elemist means him to be there. Like, yeah. it's very mm-hmm. unclear, like, when he says something's meant to be, what that means. Well, yeah, so I think that this is where my chosen one thing is coming from. It's like the Elemist is like, for for the good guys to win, mm-hmm. the Animorphs need to exist. And for that yeah. to happen, all of these other pieces have to be in place, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to you know, fix your mistakes, Elfangor. He was, like, really interpreting... We talked about how the Elmist is cheating, like, really on a high, large scale. The thing where he's like, yeah, all the, all the, the broken timeline had to be fixed and, like, all this stuff. Like, I don't think he made Lauren younger. I don't think Chapman was even that affected by the Time Matrix. Like, he was affected by the Skritna coming to Earth and stealing him, but that wasn't a Time Matrix thing. That was just some aliens doing some stuff. Chapman never even, like, he was on the ship that was, like, the oxygen was going away and he was going to die. But, like, that wasn't because of the time matrix, again. Yeah, that still happened. Yeah, so the Elmist putting him on Earth and erasing his memory, that's not fixing the timeline because of what Elfengor did. That's just a random arbitrary thing that the Elmist did. Like, he, yeah, he's he's fudging stuff. So, do you want to hear my theory about what's going on with the the Elmist and Elfengor Lauren's timeline? Sure. Okay. So what happens is they get to the time matrix and Lauren's like, I'm going to go to Earth. And Elfangor's like, okay, but we can't, you know, you can't meet yourself. We can't have two Lawrence at the same time. And we don't mm-hmm. want to, he, he's kind of thinking single timeline. If he goes back and prevents this moment from happening, it's a paradox, right? So yeah. they have to go back to like a, a few hours after Lauren was abducted, mm-hmm. right? So, but then Lauren's like, but wait, I'm, I'm, I'm 18 now, and I was 13 then. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, okay, just pretend like everybody expects you to be 18. <laughs> and so based on whatever that means to Lauren, she creates 
an entirely separate universe. Yeah. Right? Yeah, she so does. there's there's like now this new universe that Lauren created. So Except that, she doesn't create it in the same way she did when she was creating Earth in the in the weird time matrix world because you know, there are books she hasn't read that presumably she can still read. Like, the rest of the world is still there. Right. The time but you're right works. that it is somehow creating a new universe. Right. It must, because maybe there's only one person, I'm, I'm fine to hand away this part. Because there's one okay. person using it, the time matrix can take care of the rest. But they're now in some universe where, I, it could be one of two things, but either it's a universe where Lauren was always 18, so uh-huh. the Lauren who got abducted an hour before was 18, or it's a universe where... 13-year-old Lauren got abducted, and then suddenly everybody's memories change, and Lauren arrives, right? I think it's the latter, yeah. But but something, you know, something weird happens, but then this is like a totally new universe. Mm-hmm. So then what happens? Elfangor becomes a human. He and Lauren spend several years together. They get married. And then the only thing that is different, right, is that Chapman is around, right? And so then the Elmist shows up. And the Alamist is like, Elfangor, the Yurks are almost here, right? It's, it's like so bad. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And he's like really, he's really guilting him. Mm-hmm. And Elfangor's like, oh man, you know, I have this like sense of duty. And you're, that Chapman thing was weird, you know, so I've seen some <laughs> evidence that you're like powerful and stuff. Okay, Alamist, I'll do what you say, right? Mm-hmm. So what we have here is the Alamist is making Elfangor an offer, but it seems like he can't he can't pluck him off of Earth without Elfanger wanting to do it, right? And it mm-hmm. reminds me of the offer that he's giving the Animorphs in yeah, Book 7, yeah. where he's saying, oh, you can choose, you can choose, right? Mm-hmm. But he's, like, really being manipulative and stuff. So he's telling Elfanger, oh, the Yerks are here, the Yerks are here, whatever. But we don't actually know that that's the case, right? It, uh-huh. could, it could be that the Alamist is just like, I want to I mess with the timeline for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason we learn is now Lauren is pregnant, mm-hmm. Right. The, the whole timing of this, right? Yeah, it was super easy. The Elemist is like, I'm, really I'm going to... No, well, he's, he's like, I'm going to let this alternate timeline exist until Tobias is conceived. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to set everything back to normal, right? So he's like, he's like allowing this bad timeline to yeah, exist yeah, for, for the purpose years, of creating yep. Tobias, right? Uh-huh. And then... For whatever reason, he's like he's locking it back to the original thing. So I don't think that the Yerks were like there at all. I think this whole <laughs> thing was basically him saying, "I want Tobias to exist," yep. and as soon as he does, then I have to play by the rules again and reset all the pieces. So he's just trying to trick Elfangor into accepting his deal. But playing by the rules, if you were playing by the rules, he could have just let Elfangor continue to live on Earth. The rules. I guess, are allowing him this one exception of, like, if you want to, I guess you can correct the timeline thing that Elfingor did using the time matrix. Actually, what you said made me think, so when he offered this to the Animorphs, he wanted them to say no. What if he wanted Elfingor to say no? I don't think that's really supported by the book, but, like, what if he wanted Elfingor to just know that the Yerks were coming, And but all he was allowed to do was, he wasn't allowed to be like, hey, pst, the Yerks are coming. Do something about it. You're on Earth now. Fix this. All he was allowed to do was say, I can put you back into your own timeline. You should do it because the Yerks are coming. Maybe he just wanted to impart that information, but then Elfinger took him up on it. Well, then he I don't probably should have told him that he was going to have a kid. That's true. If he'd wanted him to do, if he wanted him to stay, he would have told him that because that's why he went on that day and not a few hours later or the mm-hmm. next day. And, and Alvin Gore says, like, no, I, you can't take me away. I have a son that changes everything. And the Elmist is like, nope, too late. No backsies. What a dick move. I hate him so like, much. Couldn't, like, told him everything that would happen to Lauren, didn't tell him about his son. Mm-hmm. 
And then after once Elfingor saw his, that his son was there and tried to change his mind, he almost was like, nope, too late. I already restored everything. I hate him so much. Yeah. But so when he's doing that restoration process, is it still the same is it still the same universe that Lauren created? Or is it like back to the original one? Well, if we went back to the original one, Tobias wouldn't exist in that original one. So I have So it must be the other one. A theory about this. Yeah. Which requires some really shitty podcast content because I'm gonna draw something on the whiteboard. <laughs> Amazing. But I will okay. try to describe what I'm doing as I'm doing it. I'm okay. Say it real loud. No, you're no one's gonna hear you. Okay, I will Okay, Grace standing in a chair. She's drawing on a whiteboard. Yeah, this is what I think, too. This is what I got out of it. Okay, so here's what Grey's drawing. There's a timeline, the timeline we were following in Andalite Chronicles 1 and 2. You get to the end of that, the time matrix takes them back to the beginning when Lauren was a, just got kidnapped by the Skritna, and then the timeline breaks off, and there's a new universe... Elfingor and Lauren conceive this child who was born, and then when the Elemis shows up, they all go back to the original universe. So including I think, Tobias? Yes. I think they've created a pocket universe for the express purpose of Tobias being conceived. Yeah. Okay. And then so, that pocket universe, essentially, the world of that pocket universe, uh-huh. the Elemist collapses that universe mm-hmm. back into the regular timeline. So that the only thing that has come out of it is Tobias. Everything else remains as what though it Microsoft? was... What about Microsoft? Well... It's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. He, wrote, he woke up and all he remembered was Windows. And just <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's a really good point and we should come back to that. Yeah. But I think it's a pocket universe like this. And the only thing about this theory... Uh-huh is Lauren's age. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the problem, because if you go back to the normal universe, everyone expects Lauren to be five years younger. They would expect her to be, like, 16. And instead, she's 21, has a child, and is married. It seems like the Elemist created a marriage for her. Yes. Yeah. I think what, you know, what we could say is, okay, so she's, what, 13 when she gets kidnapped? Mm-hmm. I think the time in the universe A has continued. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, by the time this battle happens that he's in, it's three years later, so she's 16. Yeah. So she's a single teen mom. So she goes back to being 16. But what about she's the husband? Pregnant. Is she married? Uh, she's got another person around. It's unclear. <laughs> what if it's something like the timeline that they snap back to is one where, like, Lauren and Chapman and uh, the Visser have existed and he's just kind of like moving he's basically like copying them from the pocket universe and pasting them into the real universe so mm-hmm. it's like there's a lauren who has a husband who's never met elfangor um but she's 16 i don't know no oh, that no. doesn't make sense wait tobias would be too old right so so no so there's a there's a timeline this is this is on tobias the same was thing. born in like 83 Ooh, let's so when they get dates. no, when they get warped, when they get warped, Lauren goes further into the future. That actually has to be true. You're right because she has to give birth in like eighty two, eighty three. Right. Did the Inwarp start in ninety five? Ninety six. Ninety six. Okay, so he has to be born in nineteen eighty three, yeah. and they were somewhere around. They were in the late seventies, so they were probably about five years off. Yeah. So I think this is also the most, the, maybe the least cruel to Lauren is that if she's 
some version who has this pre-existing relationship and she's 21 Mm -hmm. and then she becomes pregnant with Tobias like instead of having another kid or not having another kid or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So it's the age of 21. So she has this existing relationship and she assumes the kid is her existing partners and they erase her memories from the pocket universe. Okay. So the only, so Lauren doesn't move from the pocket universe back into the real universe. Just Tobias does. Or, or Lauren does and her memories get erased or something. Okay, yeah. So physically, maybe Lauren's physical body, but like she has the mind right. of Lauren, who is twenty-one in that reality, but and it's five years later, and the math works out because it's seven nineteen seventy-five mm-hmm. if it's twenty-one years before the Animorphs, and then three years pass, it's seventy-eight. If we need to get to nineteen eighty-three when Tobias is born, that's five years. That's how much Lauren was aged in the time acceleration right. if she was thirteen. And we don't know Elfingor says he's been gone for years. But I was assuming it's three years. It could be more. It so could he be could have been years. he could have been leapt into the future as well. Yeah. And there was another detail that didn't make sense to me until just now, which is that doesn't the Elmas say something like, You you're gonna have a brother and Elfinger's like, Well I know they were I was gonna have a brother and he's like, Oh well you don't have a brother in this timeline, but That's you should right. right? And, but then when he goes mm. back when he's in that uh-huh. transfer process uh-huh. where Maybe he's going five years into the future. So they probably are no, snapping back you sold me on this. This to the original timeline. <laughs> okay, but the original timeline... So the question is, why is Lauren in the original timeline? Shouldn't she have gotten abducted? Or is this a timeline where she didn't get abducted? So this is... Okay, also... Yeah, if Lauren is in the original timeline, then Elfengor would also be in the original timeline. Why would it be so important that he go back? It's maybe only important that Tobias be transferred, not that Elfengor go back. Right. So let's assume our theory is right. I like it so far. What has to be true is at the moment the time matrix is activated, Chapman goes back to normal. He doesn't do anything else. Lauren goes back to normal and lives her normal life until she's 21, at which point she becomes pregnant with Tobias. Visser 32 immediately goes back to whatever the Yerks are doing and Uh becomes Visser 3 over the course of eight years. Uh Elfengor is missing for eight years in time. Why is he missing but Lauren goes back to normal? Lauren is like in two... like. Don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But but here's why, right? Uh So Lauren doesn't get to keep her memories, but Elfangor does, right? Which is kind of an arbitrary decision. You could just, like, wipe his memory or or something like that, right? Uh Maybe it's also... Except he can't wipe the memory because it's really important that Elfangor know what human teenagers are capable of because that's one... That's, like, a major reason why he gives the power to the Animorphs. Exactly. That's Mm -hmm. a really good point. But maybe it's also kind of like the time travel in Book 11 where, like, Jake's really the only one who can remember things even though Uh the way Uh the time travel had to work, other people must remember too. Yeah. So maybe it's similar in that Elfangor is kind of, like, carrying the memory of this pocket universe even Mm -hmm. as everyone else has forgotten. So, like, you can't have two Elfangors. Or maybe the Elmist kidnapped Elfanger for eight years and then killed him as soon as he got his better up, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> okay, I will also just say it is possible that what happened is like another splitting of the timeline. Maybe not, because there are things I don't like about this theory, but like it does preserve like the primacy of the original universe, which is like, why do we care what happens in this universe if something different happened in the other universe? Why do we prioritize one universe over another? The Elemis can presumably universe hop. And maybe this is, like, the real quote-unquote universe. But I do think it's also possible that, like, Lauren created, like, a new parallel universe when she went back to Earth and was like, everyone thinks I'm 18. And then the Elemis just created another one when he put Elfengor back where he was supposed to be. 
So it's it doesn't necessarily have to have gone back to the original universe. All right. So there's another problem, which is why does the timeline the Elmas want to go back to include Tobias if he came from the alternate universe? Uh, because Tobias is a point on which an entire timeline may turn. <laughs> He's like a crucial Tobias, part of the Tobias universe. Tobias existed originally, and he wasn't Elfangor's son, and then. Through these time shenanigans, he's become Elfangor's son, but... No. I think the Elemist is, like, playing both sides of this game. I think the Elemist knows that the only way to create a successful Animorphs group is, is to Tobias. have Tobias be conceived. He has to be conceived in this pocket universe. The Elemist waits for it to happen, but he knows that in this pocket universe, or, like, split universe or whatever the Animorphs will never be formed because Elfinger won't be there to create them, so he's taking kind of the best of both universes and combining them. So, so maybe not... there is a timeline where Elfangor gives the morphing cube to the other Animorphs ex- and not Tobias, uh-huh. and that doesn't go so well. Yeah, or right? like, it's yeah, it's a different kid in Tobias's place or something. Yeah. yeah. All right. This is interesting. <laughs> well, I hope everyone's been able to follow this conversation. I'm going to take a picture I'm not sure I did. and put it... Um, <laughs> So I don't like the idea that, like, the universe that Elfengorth gets taken away from is fake. See, I think he's tempted away. I think he genu- I like to think that he genuinely escaped. He and Lauren escaped, and they had a happy future together. Mm-hmm. And the Elemist is like, I'd rather have a timeline where Elfanger dies and Tobias helps save the world. I feel like it's possible that had Elfanger made a different choice, he and Lauren could have lived happily on Earth with their son Tobias, mm-hmm. and the Yurks would have showed up and taken over at some point. Yeah. And but they would have no, had a happy I think life. That's, right. I think that's true. I think if Elfengor had made that choice, he would have yeah. Um, but I don't like the idea of like this is a pocket universe that somehow isn't real. I don't know. But I do like the way the math works out is really compelling. <laughs> if the time matrix adds five years. Because that's the only way that it makes sense, actually, because otherwise we have Tobias being conceived in nineteen seventy eight. Right. And he's not eighteen mm-hmm. in the first book. Also, Elfinger completed college and got a graduate degree in three years and married Lauren, who, let's just point out, she matured five years in, like, moments and only physically. So emotionally, she would still have been, like, 16 by the time three years had passed. So, like, presumably she's, like, emotionally 13, even if she has, I guess, an 18-year-old's brain. She doesn't have the experience or, like, she hasn't gone through the emotional maturation. Yeah. Of course, neither has Elfengor, so they're both, like, kind of young. I guess they just get married because it's still okay in the eyes of humans, even though they're really, like, 16. For people who haven't read this, <laughs> the Time Matrix brings them back to, you know, just after Lauren gets kidnapped. And then the next chapter starts three years later. And... Alfengor describes how he does the same thing Axe does. It's called a frolis maneuver, frolis yeah. maneuver. Mixes different DNA to form a single morph. So he becomes a Nothlet human. He tends a human college, majors in physics. He says, it was hard. Hard to pretend not to know all the answers instantly. I had to pretend to struggle with equations I had known perfectly since childhood. <laughs> why okay why didn't he study something that he wouldn't have known everything about like humanities sociology he could have learned all about humans he loves humans well he, he loves one particular human why well no but he like he really loves the human world and sure yeah but go on so then lauren has at the same time recreated her own life to deal with her aging back to 
friends and family who expected her to be 18 and not 13, which mm-hmm. we have not talked about her friends, but she, this Pocky universe <laughs> has a completely different friends. set of friends. Yeah. Alpha Gore finishes college at an accelerated rate, not surprising since I was a century or two ahead of all the professors. Fine. I began graduate school, but I was bored there too. I had a job writing software for primitive human computers. It was the 1980s on Earth. Wait, wait, what? Just messed everything up. What? And humans were just beginning to understand computers. I met a lot of humans who were working in the computer field. My human friend, Bill, used to come over to my room and we would exchange ideas. It was hard for me to simplify my knowledge enough for him to follow. Everything had to be explained in simple human terms, using words like window to explain a childishly simple concept. So condescending. (laughs) And my human friend, Steve, thought it was a huge breakthrough to use symbolic icons and a simple pointer rather than a lot of complex language. First of all, this is all very funny with the, like, my human friend Bill and my human friend Steve. Yes. Here are your references. But how is it the 80s? This doesn't make any sense. Maybe the five years was the time matrix. Okay. okay. But no. It- what if Lauren just screwed up? <laughs> she created this pocket universe. I think we can blame her for all the inconsistencies. Great. Thereof. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That it's doesn't, because all- that doesn't, it doesn't make sense if, because Elfinger's, what he told her was like, go back like very shortly after mm-hmm. the Scritnot kidnapped you, which if it was 21 years ago was 1975. Mm-hmm. And she didn't take them back to 1975 because only three years passed and it's the 1980s. So no. Except so where the did the five years come from? That's yeah. super weird. Or, I think or she it's messed up. Three years later, and then more years pass, and they don't say. That's that the, doesn't really so that it gets to the eighties, but that doesn't. That's also no. not satisfying. Yeah, maybe it's actually eight years pass, which would make a lot more sense. Because listen, even if you graduate from college early and it only takes you two years to get a bachelor's degree in physics. He started grad school and had a job writing software for, I think, I mean, eight I years think he, I think he started grad school, because he doesn't say, I got a graduate degree. He says he started grad school. I think mm-hmm. the element shows up while he's in graduate school. Or either that or he drops out. It's unclear. But he could also have a job while he's in grad school. People do that. I still think it's eight years and not three years. But it says three. I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> so I like the general idea of the elemist is mixing and matching between the original timeline mm-hmm. and... Tobias in order to, yes. or Elfingor and Tobias in order to create the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his ideal future, mm-hmm. right? I find that very persuasive as a theory, even if the math doesn't seem to add up, however we think about it. Yeah, so I don't like the idea of, like, the Lauren who had all this happening to her is just in a pocket universe and she, like, doesn't really exist. I think she gets copied back and her memory is tampered with. So okay. I think she exists. So it is the but... Lauren who had all this happen, except she's been altered because her memories have been tampered mm-hmm. with. Because, like, I hate it, but also I feel like it. I hate that the Elmas does that to her and that he manipulates Elfengor into letting him do that. Right. But I feel like it's even worse if, like, that just gets erased because, like, she's already had so much erased. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, presumably... Tobias has to, like, it's almost like Lauren's life has to be bad enough that she'll leave her son when he's young, because Tobias has to be the kind of person he is, right? It's like, it's which is even worse. Did the Elmist arrange all of, That's awful. Listen, he's the worst. He's the worst. But I, hate other, to, I hate to find out what his enemy is like. My other theory from the last book, though, that if Tobias uh-huh. ends up creating the Elemist, then the Elemist, <laughs> his hand is forced here because he has to do all he of this to stuff to make... Tobias. It's all about Tobias. Wow, that is that is a good point. Yeah. I also was intrigued by 
the comment about how the time matrix seemed like the egg of some giant bird. Yes. Like, what if Tobias? What if... <laughs> he lays the time matrix. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Oh man, the I totally conclusion. have that in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. What happened to the time matrix? It's buried in the construction site. Did they not find it? Nope, no, no one knows it's there. Alfanger died. He didn't tell anyone. No one knows it's there. So it's just right, currently right now in a mall in California. Yeah, let's yeah. hope the they time don't finish construction. Buried in a construction site. Yep. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely going to find it though, right? But they you won't think? use it, right? I mean, I was wrong about this last time, so I'm going to assume. <laughs> no, I don't know. It just seems like me. I don't know. Someone should know it's there. No one does. It's, the Elmas knows. I feel like, yeah, that's true. I feel like Elfengor would prefer that no one know because that's the thing. He didn't trust anyone with it. If he mm. could have destroyed it, he probably would have. Yeah. I fair. wonder if he tried. That would probably be a bad idea. Don't try to destroy something with the power of ten suns. Yeah. Hmm. But wait, <laughs> it's buried there in the pocket universe, so that's also something <laughs> that's also something that the Elmist okay. may or may not have moved. I feel like it is also possible that there's only one universe and the Elmist is just changing things in it. Right. But then it's the universe. That's kind that of the Lauren theory created, that I most right? believe in. So, she altered the universe. She had the power of the Time Matrix, so she was able to alter okay. people's memories. But we don't know for a fact that the Time Matrix actually does time travel. It could just be that whenever you use it, you're creating a new universe. That's true. We've already talked about that theory. I do think it is it is also possible that it is not creating a new universe, and that this is just the same universe, and it's been like tinkered with a couple of times. Right. So I, mean, I that's that's what I'm holding to. Like That feels like the most consistent to me with the books, but I, I recognize that it might not be right. I mean, a lot got tinkered with. Yeah, but also a lot was consistent, like the Time Matrix having been buried there. I guess we don't know for sure that it is there. Maybe in this universe it was not. In which case, does it not exist in our universe anymore because they brought it into a pocket universe? Right. That's where to keep it. (laughs) Yes, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's still in our universe. I think maybe there's only one universe. I just think it's unfortunate if if it's a totally stable... If it's all a self-fulfilling time loop, then mm-hmm. Elfinger doesn't have any choice. He doesn't have any agency. It's all predetermined. I mean, we've had that conversation before. Like, how much is it predetermined and how much is it, like, it looks predetermined if you look at it after the fact and the Elemist is kind of looking at it from outside the timeline. Mm-hmm. So the the Elemist says that one of the reasons that he's interfering is that there is... A, there's another power out there mm-hmm. in the universe. So as Elfengor is being taken out of one timeline and, and put into the other or something, he says he sees, trying to find exactly the line, I saw the Elemist himself as he really was, an indescribable being of light and time and space. Did he look like a bird? At this point, say. it doesn't say. Okay. Huge, but without a place, alone, but not the only one of his kind. Fine. I understood the vast power that trailed the lines of time through his grasp, and yet against the enormity of all that had ever been and all that would ever be, I saw his limits too. Mm -hmm. The Elemist was mighty, but not all-powerful, which, okay, fine, we'll get to that in a second. But then (laughs) the Elemist says, We are not the only great powers of the galaxy. There is another, older even than we, and he plays a dark game, Andalite. It is with him that we play, so hope we win. Hope we win. So one is... There's some other power that we haven't seen yet that the Elemists are fighting against. 
mm-hmm. which they call play, and that is because gods are assholes. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. But it makes this, I found that annoyingly binary. Because okay. if the elemists are just kind of all powerful and they're like kind of interfering, maybe they don't love the Yerks, but they're just, they're not, you know, they're not interfering too much. They're nudging things. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But if suddenly this entire universe, this entire storyline is just part of their game against some dark evil force, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that the Yerks are going to somehow band together with that dark evil force. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden we're back to like, this is not a space opera of different species that have different requirements trying to live together in a galaxy and doing it very poorly. This is good and evil battling it out and using yeah. humans as pawns. Yeah. Don't like it. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's I what Ted was saying. That, yeah, yeah. Right? That, yeah. That implication. Yeah. And we've seen so much moral complexity in the series mm-hmm. that like, I mean, I guess you can also introduce moral complexity on the level of these two forces. We don't know the elements are good. We don't know that this other power is evil. It might not be that clear cut. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely don't like the elements, but they seem <laughs> well, to be exactly. putting yeah. themselves in that role. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this kind of story also exists in the series, right? Yeah. I think that it, it it's like a different lens that you can look at it with, mm-hmm. and we'll see how how that plays out. So, what other things do we want to do? We want to talk about. We um, learn a lot more about Andalites. We get to see their you, world for the first time. Are you ready to face the truth about Andalite stock eyes, Jenny? I'm not ready. It's too terrible. I'm twice devastated. Alfangor opens his stock it's eyes. Twice? Yeah. When he first arrives <sighs> in the tripartite universe and after the Elemist moves him a second time. Man. The only thing I could think of to save the theory is that it's not until after. They use the time matrix for the first time. <laughs> so maybe it's one of Lauren's ideas. She thinks that they have islands. And so that just is going amazing. forward. We haven't gotten to the possibility that like they can alter each other when they create this tripartite universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe it's that Andalites can't close their stock eyes. They can only until... open them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> they can only open them. And the time matrix closes it or like the Elmist power closes stock eyes that's the only way to close them but he can open them <laughs> all right fine we, but <laughs> no no you're right this this has been i think uh disproven it's very sad i really like the theory it was supported by everything up to this point but no apparently you can open your stock eyes so yeah andalites live in scoops Scoops out of the ground that yeah. they plant with flowers and cover partly with the tarp. Yeah. And they they have must have very good weather. Land. And they're communists. Yeah. They, the means of production are controlled by each individual family. Elfinger's mm-hmm. family mm-hmm. builds little like heat sensors or something. and Or they, they design heat sensors and another mm-hmm. family builds them and another family transports them. And uh, they don't have cities. They just have three spaceports. Because they once had cities. Yeah. And it was too difficult to have so many people in close proximity. Mm-hmm. And they started fighting and they decided we didn't want that anymore. So they went back to their little scoops mm-hmm. and decentralized production. That probably explains why there's this this limit on their population. If they were really crowded at mm. one point, Ooh. maybe part of their movement to like have more land per family was like, okay, we we have to decrease the population a little bit. So they're still in that process good point it seems really incongruous with the militaristic society that they have though like thinking mm-hmm. of elfangor's 
family is like living on their own, you know, grazing land and sort of designing uh, spaceship parts doesn't kind of fit with like Elfangor's father, like served in the military and he's kind of a hard ass. It just seems like a weird... Does it not? I mean, I don't know that it's impossible for those things to be... Right. It just seems like they're... It's a totally different... Maybe that's why they need so much propaganda about like, this is your duty, do it for like the glory, do it for the people. They're really big into the people. We saw the the ritual of the of death in book eight like Mm. my life is not my own when the people have need of it like they have to have this like super intense ideology because that's the way to get people off their peaceful scoops and into the military maybe how did elfanger get recruited though or is it mandatory service mandatory service and is there well there's there you can be in it's not in this book but we've learned in the past i think that there are different kind of categories of jobs that you can take on. So you can be in the military, you can be a mystic. Okay, but be... it's not like in one of those dystopian books where you like It's not the giver, your... <laughs> I think. But I I bet you 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 have like mandatory service in like one of the three branches of government. Wait, then... is one of the three branches of government mystics? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think this is unfounded. <laughs> Until I have proved otherwise. I'm gonna go with my case. No, What's no, the I'm just third saying branch. I, there was something about like uh, strategists, politicians, something okay, like that. Okay, so there's politicians, warriors, and mystics. Uh-huh. And everyone has to be one of these three things. Yeah, it's like Pokemon. <laughs> Pick your team at the beginning. <laughs> okay, so all right. Actually, the, that is more are the people or less the who, Are the people who transport heat sensors warriors? Oh, no, no, no. You can have, like, build, designing heat, heat sensors and then building them and transporting them. Those are all the jobs you can have after your mandatory service in one of these three branches. Oh, I guess. So is that implying that all politicians are, like, young adult Andalites and they serve for, like, two or three that years? That would explain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I haven't thought this through entirely, but I'm willing to put together an entire political mm. schema for this, guys. Yeah, so Elfinger's great-great-grandparents... Um, dug out this scoop so it's it's been in the family a long time it seems like it seems like they probably don't have that many things there doesn't it doesn't seem to be like level of consumerism that we have mm-hmm. i was really entertained by his speculation about lauren's house where he's like stairs i guess it's because they love rectangles and now they can have more rectangles and now they can have a second story which allows their house to be a bigger rectangle and i suppose this is important in some way <laughs> <laughs> this idea that like they don't value interior space maybe like because they have grazing land and that's where they spend most of their time yeah. it must not be cold in the andalite homeworld like ever I really enjoyed the description of the trees. There's a Therent tree that has a name. The name is Halafala, maybe? Yep. But it was it also is Alfangor's guide tree, his his Gariba. And so somehow there's some kind of sort of ritual or whatever where the trees do speak to the Andalites somehow. Uh, or at least commune with them in some way. Mm-hmm. And the guide tree helps with the perhaps emotional development of the Andalites or something. It's mm-hmm. unclear. And the tree helps, which I think is really sweet. It was I such thought, a lovely tradition. I really like that. It was uh, very elvish. Yeah, I yeah. love everything about this. And it's clear that Kay Applegate loves nature. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> the tree, it has a non-linguistic voice, right? He says that mm. some trees have spoken words, but it takes them a really long time. Mm-hmm. It answers our question. Yeah, like Ents. It answers our question for book eight also. Right. The trees The grammatical ambiguity. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the trees act as like a... 
a confessor. He he wants to do the forgiveness ritual. Like he needs to make right and learn and promise not to repeat errors. But he doesn't think he can be forgiven yet because so much stuff hasn't mm-hmm. been made right. And but he says you know being heard helped mm-hmm. when he's you know mm-hmm. talking to the tree. I like that. And I do think so. Uh, two things. One is the forgiveness ritual. He says what it is, and the ritual of forgiveness is. I have made right everything that can be made right. I have learned everything that can be learned. I have sworn not to repeat my error. And now I claim forgiveness. And that is such a perfect way of thinking about a mistake. Yeah. I have done, I have tried to make it right. I have learned things. I'm not going to do it again. Now that's over with. And I love that ritual. I would like to make that part of my daily life. Yes. But it also, the guidance of the tree was i think repeated in the guidance of the captain on the ship at the end Mm. elfengor tells this captain everything that he's gone through um, everything except where the time matrix lives seems smart Mm -hmm. and the captain isn't like overly helpful about it as you pointed out earlier (laughs) but he does talk about alaran and the way that war changed him which i thought was sort of interesting and also that he gives Alfengor kind of the forgiveness that he had been looking for. You didn't mutiny against Alaran. You defended the beliefs he used to hold dear. You stood mm-hmm. up for the people. As for running away to this earth place, no one can be brave every minute of every day. No one can be brave all the time. And now you have a second chance. And I think that's that's actually like a really lovely way to absolve him of the guilt that he's been feeling over his actions Mm -hmm. running away to earth and not obeying Alaran and all of the things that at the beginning of the book Visser 3 throws up in his face like there's this whole sequence where Visser 3 is like here's all the ways that you messed up Mm -hmm. and he's not wrong right (laughs) he's actually quite correct about all of them and this is the captain saying well yeah you did all of those things but like now you have a second chance you can kind of start from scratch and do it again and I kind of liked that Closing the book on a lot of Elfengor's angst for these three books. I think that's I, I, that's true, but I feel like this bit with the captain is really hollow because we don't really see. Again, we don't see Elfengor step into this role. He just mm-hmm. it's like we are told this and not shown it, and like we don't see him inspiring the people. Like we know that he's inspired yeah. Axe a little bit from Axe's perspective. I mean, it seems like what he did with the blade ship, which sort of arose from his face-off with Fissur 3 in the, like, tripartite universe. I think that was inspiring to the people. That's true. Yeah. But, you know, that's... We don't see the rest of what he does. Yeah, it's yeah. one moment in the whole thing. And there's this great conversation that Lauren and Elfangor have when he's saying, I don't want to give the Time Matrix back to the Andalites. Let's mm-hmm. escape to Earth. Mm-hmm. Where when he was looking at a Lauren's body when the activating the time matrix, he sees Alaran's memory of uh, considering the quantum virus and then yeah. like feeling bitterness when he's decided to use it and it didn't work and the Horkbajir homeworld is lost anyway. And so then he's saying like, even good people do bad things. You know, I guess that's what war is all about. And they talk about, they need to win the war by being themselves. Right. And not kind of, so like they're kind of, forging this new path and they say what's the point of winning if you lose what you're fighting for that line was like that blew my 13 year old mind (laughs) that was like an introduction to this 
this yeah. idea. Yeah, and so, but that's all very much like don't blow up the ship full of yurks. Mm-hmm. And that's also kind of like you're, you know, you don't want to be part of this Andalite thing. You want to go off with Lauren and kind of like forge your own path. Mm-hmm. And then they sort of erase all of that, right? That um, he, it doesn't seem like he is, like we said before, it doesn't seem like he's coming back to the Andalites and saying, look, I think we're, the costs are too high. We need to fight this war on better standards. Mm-hmm. He's saying like <laughs> blowing up the blade ship is really cool and impressive. And I'm going to keep inspiring people by blowing stuff up. Yeah. And we haven't gotten his beast. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I mean, maybe from I think the line, we have to win this war by being ourselves, was not him and Lauren so much as we was like the whole Andalites. And I think it is consistent that like he still doesn't give them the time matrix, but you're right that he seems to drop a lot of these other concerns. And this conversation with the captain, like the captain kind of forgives him. is like, you can't, you can't be brave all the time. And it seems like... The implication is, like, war is terrible, but, like, if there is a war, fighting is the right thing to do. Mm. And that, I mean, we see that with the Animorphs, like, over and over again. They're suffering so much, but they keep making this decision to turn back to the battle. So, yeah, there is this idea, like, okay, you know, forgive yourself if you have to step away. Take a few years to, like, you know, Mm. marry a human, live on Earth. But, like, the right thing to do is to stay in the battle, Mm. which is, yeah, an interesting Mm thesis that's interesting yeah i was kind of taking away from it that this is kind of like that the right answer is the, the conversation he has with lauren but actually but that's the text, also the right answer no, but, well maybe but then the text kind of supports so you got away with this for a little bit but what you really have to do is fight well i think Lauren. the conversation with lauren wasn't i need to leave this war although he also has that statement other places it was I can't give the time matrix to the Andalites. We won't be able to use it. We won't use it right. And we can't win this war by becoming something worse than what we are. And I don't think that's ever refuted. Like, I think that stands. Right. It's just his decision to not be in the war at all that gets overturned. Right. But it does seem like the duty to fight is ultimately more important than than anything else. Even then, his then duty he... to Lauren and to, like, be part of their family. Right. Or his duty to not blow up a bunch of Yurks, right? Because he feels bad about it. No, that's not... I don't think that's overturned. Like, his decision not to, like, blow up the Yurks that were in, like, the tubs on the the ship and the spaceport. I don't think that's overturned. No, I think we think that's still the right decision. Yeah, because, like, the, the conversation with the captain was, like, you were right not to obey Alarn's order. Like, he had turned away from his ideals. You were sticking true to the ideals that he had had before war, like, turned him bad. Right. So I think that that stands. I guess. But what we see from the Andalites years and years later, Elfangor's ideas haven't won out. We don't mm-hmm. see much. Well, Axe is really Andalites ruthless later. when it comes to killing humans that are going to, whose Yorks are dying of Kendrona starvation, right? He's like, this That's is war, true. you have to, yeah. you know. I, I don't see Axe having ideals so much as having this, like, we have I mean, to Axe burn slugs at all costs. Yeah. Axe doesn't kill those humans. I mean, Axe's guilt is really, I didn't tell you all the things that, that the Andalites had done in the past. Axe's guilt isn't, I'm actually doing bad things now. Yeah. Well, but we do see, you know, let's burn those slugs. and Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like flyboy pep talks. But you're right. It's not like they're going around being like, yes, let us 
resign ourselves to killing these Yerks, despite the fact that we better to be able to make peace with them or something like that. Which, to be fair, is not a conclusion Elvinger had even reached even a little bit, because mm-hmm. most of his interaction was right. with Visser 32, who was also, terrible. Also, I was right about um, the Alarin thing. I mean, maybe I just remembered it, because I'm rereading these books, but <laughs> that he... Uh, he failed, right? So yeah. we don't. Mm-hmm. There's still the the yeah. counterfactual right. where the quantum virus works, and he celebrated, right? So like, <laughs> but you can't really condemn the Andalites because of a counterfactual. Like, you can't say like, we assume that they would have celebrated him if it had worked. Therefore, we condemn them. Like, they they didn't happen. We don't know that they would have done that. We can guess, but I'm we d- can't really use it as evidence. But I don't think you can use it as evidence that they condemned him for using it, and not for failing. Yeah, that's true. There's a line when they're, just when they're talking about uh, living up to our own standards, where they, uh, Lauren and Alfengor are discussing when they should go back into time, mm-hmm. that I wanted to bring up very quickly, uh, and Lauren says, maybe we should erase this timeline, save hmm. Arbron, save Alarin. Good point. And the two of us never meet. I wouldn't want that. Me neither. More importantly, we wouldn't know the exact effects of rewriting all that history. Okay, but like, yeah, but you have the chance, again, for the third time so far in these books, we have a chance to go back and make Visser 3 (laughs) not an Andalite, which seems like a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do take his point that like, if we try to, like, you'd be creating a paradox, like, they don't know how that would go. They don't, but you know who does know how that would go. The Alamus isn't there. I mean, he sort of is, but he's not advising them at the moment. Doesn't make sense. Speaking <laughs> of Visser 3, we haven't talked about how he fits all, all, into this whole time travel thing. I don't think we should go into it in a lot of I detail, <laughs> but he apparently has like eight years to consolidate power, but still remembers everything. So why does he get to remember stuff if Lauren doesn't? It's like really weird that he yeah. somehow remembers mm-hmm. his relationship with mm-hmm. Elfangor mm-hmm. and, and all this weird stuff that's happening. Like, Well, I think the thing with uh, Lauren and also Chapman, the Elemis seems to be like, I'm going to wipe their memories because they should never have left Earth, even though that was not something that was caused by the Time Matrix. So I don't think he wiped anyone else's memory. I guess it's, it's really possible just... that Visitor 3 only remembers everything up to the... Like before the time matrix is used, right? Because he that's he yeah. and Fangor uh, are yeah, already I guess kind of. We won't, won't really know. Yeah, because yeah. he's like, just uh, I wonder what happened there. Huh? Weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, because and everyone else in the battle remembers that Alvin Gore has been gone for three or eight years. Yeah, just a bunch of years. Yeah, it's true. Their memories weren't erased of anything. So we do. We learn some stuff about the Yurk homeworld, which seems horrifying like what a cartoonishly like miserable world no wonder they want to get off what's so bad about it they have those tongues that like erupt from the ground and like slap down onto these beasts that like scream even though they don't have heads and then they like pull the beasts in and the beasts don't fit in their mouth so they're just like they're like dying trapped by the tongue it's It's awful Lightning in the sky the constantly. The sky is green with lightning. Smelly like, yeah. pools covering the surface. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, it is uh, exaggeratedly terrible. Yeah, it's real bad. And uh, we also learn, speaking of just things we learned about Yerks, that being inside the brain of the host body is protective to the Yerk. So we've seen a lot of host bodies die, and we've assumed the Yerks die, which I'm, I'm sticking with that, but mm-hmm. like... 
Alaran's body is dying. Uh, he and Elfingor, well, Visser 3 and Elfingor are trying to control the Time Matrix. And Visser 3 starts winning because Alaran and Elfingor are both dying of oxygen deprivation. But because the Yurk is protected inside Alaran's brain, he's like able to like hold on to his willpower for longer, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it does raise some questions about like, how much does it hurt the Yurks when the Animorphs like kill their host bodies? Presumably it kills them. We don't actually know that for sure, do we? I don't know. Right, that's interesting. We learn that Andalites do not cry except inside their hearts. Oh. Yeah. We learn Oh, I mean we already knew this, but the thing where Andalites don't really touch each other, it seems like. But then, you know, Elfgar catches on. I placed a hand on Lauren's shoulder. By now I had learned that humans like to be touched when they are upset, which was the sweetest thing. I know. He observed that. He did this thing that he knew she would want Mm -hmm. because she was upset. He wasn't just like, I'll do what I would do want. You know, he like really is thinking about her and what she would want. Mm -hmm. They were adorable. They were very cute. He also learned about hoobers, which are critters from the Endlight homeworld. (laughs) We didn't get much of a description of them, except that they have big bulging eyes and mm-hmm. they sit on little like ferns. But I just, I just think they're really cute. I'm just imagining something <laughs> that's a really, really cute. Little <laughs> I want to see some Hoover fan art. Oh I, yeah, I bet it exists. I don't know why, but I imagine them as the little three-eyed spirits from is it Spirited Away. Oh, you know, oh the forest, the yeah, Kadamas, the, the um, Princess Mon. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's yeah. like it's one of the yeah. That's what I imagined. We haven't even talked about the wonderful sequence where Alfingor explores the human world, like in the tripartite mm. universe, where he learns about streets, which makes sense so that cars would not damage tasty grass. Mm-hmm. We He sees the lawns and is like, obviously humans grow their own food in neatly cultivated squares in front of each house. Right. <laughs> and he's like... Lauren, your grass must be so hardy to support people and still be so green. And she's like not paying attention. Right. She's like, uh. (laughs) And then he comes up to the house. He's like, humans really like rectangles. And he finds the steps. He's like, were they a way to slow down any approaching enemies that no one could charge directly inside the hollow house? Kind of. He tries to eat the carpet with his hooves. He's like, nah, very short, pale, tan grass. (laughs) But he can't eat it because not grass. He's totally horrified by McDonald's. Yes, by human food. Mm-hmm. I really liked his speculation about Lauren's mom's eye color. Mm-hmm. She yeah, had hair the same color as Lauren's, but dark brown eyes. Perhaps that was a sign of age. Perhaps humans have blue eyes till a certain age, or until they reproduce and have children. So <laughs> is that because that's how Andalite eye color I'm works? curious, yeah. Do we know what color Elfangor's eyes are? I don't know about Elfangor. I feel like Axe has green eyes. Am I making that up? Maybe I've just, like, seen pictures, and that's what I'm going by. But as we know, the pictures are incorrect, because they show torsos. I loved the part where um, Elmer's like, can I can I go up to Lauren's room? And her mom is like, but leave the door open a crack. That's the rule in our house when Lauren has Andalites over to play. I So, to me, this is, since, then, since the mom here came from Lauren's imagination, is that she's already <laughs> been fantasizing about this scenario. It's like, oh, my mom would, like, totally try and get in our oh. way. And establish this rule. You're so right. She's been thinking of like, how would I make this work? Like uh, with Elfingor, like interact with my family. I how also, can this romance play I out? I noticed that Lauren's mom asks if they'd like some pop and cookies. I noticed that too. And Tobias refers to pop in book two. <gasps> so it runs in the family. 
So, okay, but pop is not a California thing. It is a Midwest so, right. thing. Yeah. So, so Lauren's family must be from the Midwest, uh-huh, but uh-huh. if Tobias was ever hanging out with his grandma, maybe he picked it up from her. Oh, or maybe his aunt and uncle. But Tobias is the only animorph that's called a pop so far, I think. So, so it was foreshadowing. Good to know. <laughs> Didn't even pick that up. That's because you grew up in the Midwest where pop is a normal I word. Everyone should call it pop. Yeah, I was like, pop? Whoa. I didn't even notice. I really liked the detail about the eyeless McDonald's server. Oh, the uh, whole thing was so awful. Lauren had only ever noticed how terrible his acne was, and so he didn't have eyes. He just has really bad acne. It's really horrible. Yeah. The um, Yeah, and so they, but they do order McDonald's from him, and then at the end, you get this sentence. Enjoy your meal and come again, the sad monstrosity said. <laughs> Sad monstrosity. Elfanger is still pretty judgy. His narrative <laughs> voice is amazing. Narration. And then, and then, so he's horrified by what a Big Mac is, and the mm-hmm. description of Lauren eating it is amazing. <laughs> Between huge gulping, slobbering bites with her flashing white teeth and grinding jaws, Lauren told me what a Big Mac was. <laughs> it's really an Andalite horror show. Oh man, because like you would never see another Andalite eat, really. Like, you can't see their hooves mm-hmm. while they're right. on the ground. Yeah, so all of that stuff stands out. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. When um, So she's upset, and he eventually comes and comforts her, and uh, he, he brings her a picture from her bedroom, oh, and yeah. then her mouth corners became more nearly level <laughs> as she stops frowning. <laughs> I really liked, we haven't even mentioned softball, which is a major thing. Can we, can I just very quickly mention my favorite thing that happens with the softball. So Please Lauren do. is very good at softball. Yeah. And that means that she can, for example, throw rocks with great accuracy and hit the visor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes into play a number of times yeah. where she yeah. is able to use a bat very well. She throws things. But my favorite one was she has a dead alien half in one hand. <laughs> she throws it at the at the other alien bat thing and yells softball <laughs> <laughs> yeah didn't quite get the catchphrase there just, just i like that she just you know sometimes when you're doing a thing you have to yell the thing you're doing yeah to make it clear to your uh, okay, alien boyfriend is, so what it is that scene is so horrifying because Lauren's been aging five years, right? Mm-hmm. So she's growing these like fingernail claws, uh-huh. and uh-huh. her hair is piling on the floor, and, and so she's like, she's kind of like fingernail Wolverine at this point. <laughs> yeah. And it describes that like her when she's fighting the things off, Elfangor sees her strangling it, and then she can't strangle it, but her nails grow through the thing's throat and kill it. There is a power. And then right there. she softballs it away. Yuck! <laughs> it's really gross. I like the first time she threw something. Elfengor says, I was impressed by the human ability to throw things with such force. I was sure that Andalite scientists would enjoy studying humans someday. They appeared more frail and ridiculous than they were. Mm-hmm. And then Visser 3 says, so, you propel rocks at me. You'll be very sorry you ever propelled a rock at me, human. He's got to work on his catchphrases. <laughs> really and just before that, the Visser is monologuing. And uh, blah, 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 Lauren said. I had no idea what that meant. Neither did the Visser. <laughs> So these, uh, what do you guys think of Mortrons? Oh, horrifying. I love them. (laughs) They're, okay, one, I was looking this up. They're the wheelers from Ozma of Oz. Did you ever read the, like, extended 
uh, Oz books. No. So in like it's like the second or third, you know, sequel to The Wizard of Oz. I haven't mm-hmm. read these in years. There are like critters that have uh, you know limbs that end in wheels, and mm-hmm. so that really reminds me of this. But the description of them also reminds me of the cheat from Homestar Runner, except with wheels. Yes. So they're like these squat little <laughs> things with wheels, and then <laughs> that's way cuter with than I was thinking. Detachable heads with bat top wings. Parts. Yeah. yeah. So the top part comes off and is a bat. Thing yeah. and the bottom part stays on the wheels but is still alive. It's mm-hmm. like two separate mm-hmm. different animals. I would also like to, to, to mention that there are two of them that the Visser has as pets. Their yeah. names are Jarex and Larex. And they're definitely like Flotsam and Jetsam from <laughs> The Little Mermaid, except like the two, you know, henchmen who get sent off. Oh yeah. But then also when you kill them, if you if you cut them in half, each half regenerates into a whole separate alien yeah. somehow. So did there used to be only one? Yes. Carex. <laughs> Alphabetically, Carex oh. and then Jarex and Larex. And then you get like Herrix and the other thing that I love about this is the Visser relishes basic multiplication because he spells it out. He's like, and if you attack these four, they'll be eight. And if you attack all eight of those, they'll be 16. And the numbers keep getting higher by a factor of two each time. That's I feel amazing. like that might have been some, you know, explaining for the uh, the middle grade readers who maybe hadn't encountered the powers of two very much. What I didn't quite understand is the... Red upper part, which is flappy, is the bat part, is the part that gets cut in half. Mm-hmm. But somehow the bottom portion also regenerates. Well, no. So one half just regenerated into a new bat part, and the other half regenerated into a full bat part plus wheel set. So, yeah, somehow when they get split, it, it can keep track yeah. of it. Yeah, the wheel smart. part it's is weird, just yeah. regenerates, which I think is interesting. They actually, the wheelers in Asmavaz is a much better comparison, but they reminded me of the wheeled creatures in Philip Pullman's yep. His Dark Materials. That's where I was going. Oh, what are those again? They're like yeah, elephants. they that whole thing in the third book, But right? they've evolved with some sort of seed pods that they use as wheels. Yeah. So it's not an organic oh, yeah. wheel. It's just organic, like, wheel attachments. Right. And the organic and, wheels are weird. Yeah, and, like, the homeworld in the His Dark Materials has these, like, lava flows that serve as roads. So it's unclear Ooh. why a creature from, like, maybe this these people also have lava flows. Or just, like, a rocky world. It's smooth rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I just wanted to mention, again, I mentioned it while Ted was was talking about some other stuff, but, like, this idea of, like, what's the point of winning if by winning you lose what you were fighting for? It's, like, a phrase that, like, like that felt so profound to me when I was 13 Mm -hmm. because I had never encountered those ideas before. And we've mentioned before that, like, these books do a good job of introducing moral quandaries and, like, complex philosophical ideas and then don't really solve them for you. They just kind of leave them there to like germinate. And I feel like this was a, this is, I mean, this is a theme that goes through the whole series and there are a couple other really good lines that I specifically remember from later books that talk about this same, you know, conundrum. Yeah. It's a major theme. Yeah. I think, I think that was like a line that I like wrote down and was like, this is such a good quote. I love it. This is a totally different topic than we were just talking about. Who was in the picture on Alphagor's ship? What a good question. Who is in that picture? Does he have a family? Maybe he goes back 
because of the way Axe has aged, maybe he does end up being... But he's not a child when yeah. he shows up back That's in that helpful. timeline. So Axe is a child. I think but... he I think he has a second family. <gasps> That's I'm so scared. horrible. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Maybe it's like his cousins or something. I don't know. I just, I refuse to believe that he has <laughs> right, a his uncles. Axe has a twin. <laughs> that Axe never has seen. a twin. <gasps> Secret twin. Ooh. They haven't used that one yet. That's true. Should write some fan fiction. Uh, speaking of things that are not explained. Um, hey, you guys, what happened to the living an- asteroids? Um, they get, uh, probably got swallowed by the black hole that appeared out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's, okay. I think that that ship was just that was done for. Because the thing about it is that the reason they didn't use the time matrix before was that the asteroids would eat them. No, that's not really why they didn't use it. I mean, for other reasons too, but like one of the things was oh. big power thing. Yeah. So, quick question: Where'd mm-hmm. they go? What are they? Are they going to come back? They were kind of cool. I wanted to know more about them with the yeah, arms. Yeah, I being. guess we don't really no, know. When we get to the asteroid chronicles. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's true. This book is the second, I think, Animorphs book, might be more than that, to end on the word hope. Mm. Megamorphs 1, I think, also ended on the word hope. Hmm. Okay, so everything we, everything that's like an extra book so far has ended on the word hope. Interesting. I wonder if yeah. they're trying to tell us something. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole life there's hope thing has come up a lot, yep, right? Yep. And that's... At the beginning of this, when he decides, he's like, at the end of part two, he's like, I'm going to die. And then he's like, well, I guess I don't care if I die, but I can't. Lauren's still alive, and I can't let I can't her die. I can't take away her hope. Right, I can't yeah. take away her hope. Right? Without life, there is no despair, but without life, there can also never be hope. Right. And I can't take her And then at the end, he says, I go in peace to my death, and I leave as my legacy a single word for all the free peoples of the galaxy. Hope. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the thing where... Seems a little bogus that Elfengorn is like too weak to morph because we've seen people morphing in way worse situations. Uh, and one of our Tumblr followers, Akavatica, apologies if I mispronounced that, uh, suggested that maybe it's not that he like is actually physically too weak. He's just, he's kind of done. He's gone through a lot. He had this whole life on Earth and then he went back and fought the war for like at least a decade, probably, you know, at least 13 years, maybe more than that. And you know, just kind of time to pass off the pass off the baton. He wasn't like, didn't have the wherewithal to go forward, which like, maybe I can see that. And I guess if you were on Earth, I mean, my first thought was like, no, go find Lauren. And there's like, oh, no, don't do that. She doesn't remember you. Don't do oh, that. Oh, that would be so sad. Also, oh, she gets such a bum deal in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ending is really dark, right? So yeah, uh, he asks, so Tobias doesn't remember this, which is weird. But he he asked Tobias about his mother, and he's like, yeah, um, she disappeared. You know, people say she never got over my father leaving, and, you know, I, I've just been living with other people. And I guess, you know, I, I haven't really looked for her because she must be dead, right? She never would have just left me. Mm. Um, and then Elfingor's like, go to your friends, Tobias. They are your family now. <laughs> Which is like, Very nice, like, specific found family, like, explicit found family thing. But yeah, but also it's kind of like... I buy this idea that he's like, wow, this is like, I, I, I can't be with Lauren. I can't be this kid's father. Like, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. this is really heavy. I also yeah. wondered, this is another mom whose body we don't see. 
Mm-hmm. She's probably Man. a controller too. Moms just don't have bodies. In most things. things. Well, then it's good that she doesn't remember anything. <laughs> yes. I don't think Tobias had any sense that, like, oh, he knows my mom. That's why he's asking. Like, I don't know that Tobias doesn't remember it. Tobias just has never told us about it. But we've never seen that scene through Tobias's eyes. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think Tobias you never references it. it. Yeah. I was just... I was looking through my notes. There is specifically a line where Elphegor says, And I don't think I could stand having you forget me, Lauren. It's like, ugh. The Elmist heard him and then decided to stab him in the hearts. Yeah. Lauren nodded. She smiled. I care about you too, Elfingor. I care a lot. I was puzzled. Had I said I cared about her? No, not in those words. And yet I did. I did care about this alien who no longer seems so alien. I love how she is like, I know what you're really saying, and I'm just going to respond completely openly without mm-hmm. any of this. Uh-huh. Like, she's yeah. very direct. Yeah. She's Lauren's very... great. She's <laughs> a great character. And... She is a lot like Rachel in a lot of ways, not just in appearance. Mm. Yeah. Tobias has a thing for people like his mom. Yeah. Blonde hair, too. If Tobias and Rachel have babies, they will be the blondest, bluest-eyed babies ever. (laughs) I love that bit. Yeah, so after Elfinger and Lauren are saying those things, um, they get to the, like, tornado, and then they're basically like, well, the time matrix is probably in there, or we'll go in there and we'll get stuck forever and it'll be horrible. (laughs) And so they just hold hands and, like, dive right in. Uh, Elfinger says something sarcastic for the first time. Yeah. Right? Um, and then I think even Elfangor admires her as she, quote, annihilates the final Mortron <laughs> with a baseball bat. Well, he says, I think that it, I think it was that very moment when I decided I could definitely get to like humans. Yeah. <laughs> At first, they seemed almost ridiculously weak, tottering around on their two legs, having to make sounds to communicate, lacking anything in the way of tail or other defenses. But humans had some definite possibilities. I like to point out, it's a little bit annoying to me that that is when he realizes it, because so far Lauren <laughs> has come back from the brink of unconsciousness while being nearly sucked out of a spaceship in order to help him yep, yep. push the right button, even though he thought she was right. completely passed out. And um, Recognized the asteroids before he did, like figured that out. Yes. Came uh, up with the plan of like riding on his back. She's gotten she's gotten a lot of stuff done. Yes. Speaking of which, I thought we couldn't ride into like backs because they were sloped. I think it's probably just kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, no, that is a thing. When we were t- discussing that earlier, I was like, oh, but Lauren definitely rides his back mm-hmm. during this one because I remember this third of the book. And I think it's probably like you kind of slide down towards the tail, and you'd you only do it hold. if you're running for your life. Yeah, you've got to hold really tightly around their waist, or perhaps lack thereof, depending <laughs> on whether they have torsos. They definitely have shoulders. We learned that. So yeah, you like riding a motorcycle. Hmm. Like you have to kind of grip the driver. Yeah, well, she seems pretty athletic. I think she can handle it. Apparently. Yeah. The idea of kind of like riding around on a centaur in like this weird apocalyptic world with a baseball bat just feels like very Stranger <laughs> Things. It does, but also like the cover of a metal album. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. 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 yeah, we should make the, that. Oh, the other the other moment that. that we have to talk about is when they get to the end of the world and see the void of Z space, and then Lauren reaches out to touch it, and her arm just like bends back on itself. Yeah, and then she freaks out very reasonably. <laughs> I'm glad it's her so arm didn't cool. stick that way. It reminds me of um, in the Neverending Story, the sort of like mm. the nothingness, mm-hmm. you know. That you can't see. Um, it was, it definitely stuck in my mind when I read The Hunger Games and they were in this thing where that, you know, this hemisphere that had a wall you couldn't pass. Like, this is what I pictured. Oh, it's not the same yeah. thing, but yeah. it's like human manufactured instead of 
an actual Z space void. But this was my reference point. What about Elfangor's big hero moment at the end where he he's like, well, I'm back in the space fight. Might as well get myself killed by ramming the blade <laughs> ship. <laughs> Which is kind of funny in that, like, the Elmist went to all this trouble to bring him back and told him he was super important. And then he's like, well, I guess I'm going to die. But then the Elmist also screwed him over by not telling him he had a son until he'd already said yes and then wouldn't let him change his mind. So yeah. maybe he was just, yeah. you know... And it's also like, he. this is like his one tactic, because he did it, it's the same thing that he did at the end of part two. He's like, well, I'll just blow up the blade ship when I'm next to it and get myself killed. He just really wanted to blow up a blade ship. Yeah. But high risk, high reward, you know. I really like the thing where Lauren's like, I feel like I'm getting older. My, well, I'm getting older, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. huh. She, I, I, yeah, you know, it's she suddenly had a bust. <laughs> It's also like, I must be 18 already. It's just like... That's a very specific... It's like, like, hey parents, I just want to make sure that you don't think that this is about a teenage girl having sex. She's, you know, <laughs> age of consent point. everywhere. But it's very silly. Except only physically, not... You know, not right. And that's right, not mentally or emotionally, as we discussed. Did you... Do you remember reading this and being weirded out at all by what happens to Lauren? Did it have any... Not really. Yeah, it's just like, okay, yeah. time travel stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it being as weird at the time. Thinking no. about it now, being like, oh god, <laughs> being a sixteen-year-old in a twenty-one-year-old's body. I don't think I had as much of a bizarre. sense of the emotional maturation that happens between thirteen and eighteen. Mm. Of course, that, yeah, of yeah. course. I really was intrigued. So it is a froless maneuver or some sort of pronunciation that is like combines the DNA of multiple people into one. Mm-hmm. First of all, I was intrigued by like. Elfengor mentions, he's like, I found, like, ways to touch humans. I was like, how did an Andalite do that? Like, did he go into, like, sleeping humans' bedrooms? Like, I'm just imagining Lauren knocking people out with a baseball bat <laughs> and dragging them into the forest. That's perfect. That is what happened. <laughs> um, but also, both Frolus and Maneuver were in italics. Um, so, like, which, Rip. Yes, which does blow a hole in our theory about the Sario Rip, where Rip is also not a human word, and it's, it's a just a coincidence. It's but that means Maneuver would also <laughs> be a false cognate, and I, I don't buy it. I think I think it's probably just the whole thing is in italics for some reason. That's all right. We can have different headcanons. <laughs> so um, what does Maneuver mean in Andalite speak? Um, like uh, amalgamation. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. Yeah. Knocking people out with a baseball bat. Yes, it's a very specific word. They don't. Um, they can't use baseball bats. Their arms are too weak. So when the when the Elemist shows up for the first time in this book, do you remember what he does? Gray. I don't know. Is an asshole. Yep. He laughs. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite. I was like, what is Gray's reaction to this movie? He's like, oh yeah. I guess they found a glitch in the time matrix I built millions of years ago. This is going to be fun. The and last memory. Starts cackling. The last memory I had as the cold collapsed my consciousness was of mm-hmm. someone vast and incredible, a being like nothing I could have imagined. It saw me. It saw us all, and it laughed. Shut up. <laughs> I hate you. That's so funny. Seriously, the Elmas are the worst. Or maybe the maybe the Elmas has been like chilling and being like, man, you know, I know Tobias shows up at some point, but like I haven't been able to find his timeline yet. <laughs> and then suddenly he's like, this is how it happens? That's ridiculous. I can't believe it. That's so funny. And then he I calls up that. all the other Elmas being like, that was one time these three different species <laughs> used the time matrix and they created all this nonsense. Pocket universe. It took me ages to clean up and all the paperwork. Um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they probably have to file paperwork for every 
quote unquote non interference. Yeah. There, there was another nice Elemus quote though. When he's part of his manipulation to try and convince Elfangor to leave, he says, "You refuse to destroy yourself in order to win a battle. You are wise, um, <laughs> but you screwed up the timeline, right?" But he's like emphasizing that theme. And then, in a different way, he destroys himself to win a battle when he goes back to uh, mm-hmm. fight. <laughs> yep. oh, different okay. different context. Yeah. I like to think he was just sticking it to the elements. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'll show I mean, you. Wait, what did you think of um, his name? His human name? Al Fangor. Al Fangor. Al Fangor. I un- it's unbelievable. It's, it's just great. so ridiculous. So okay, but because Lauren so married someone new, Tobias's last name is probably not Fangor, right? I assume not, but probably also not. that's a shame. Do you think if it was, they'd be like, oh, we met this guy named Elfangor. It's sort of like your last name, Tobias. I, um, after the Alan Fangor, which I just wrote in my notes, Alan Fangor in all caps. (laughs) (laughs) The thing in my notes is, this is the most ridiculous thing in the entire series to date, including (laughs) (laughs) Z-Space. No, it's perfect. They really figured out how to get him to Not the name, name. just just the whole 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 pocket universe nonsense. I love it. I'm so happy about it. I'm Mm -hmm. happy Tobias has a backstory, but also totally ridiculous. So if it is a pocket universe... Then I was, I wrote down while I was reading this, like, okay, first they took the creation of dogs away from humans, as Liz <laughs> discussed in episode 10. And now they're taking the creation of computers away from, or like a lot of computer stuff away from humans. But no, apparently not. It was just a coincidence because it was a pocket universe. It was a pocket universe, right? right. <laughs> I still don't quite buy that, but, you know. Uh, we didn't mention, so while we're talking about the Elemist, I realized after we recorded episode 13 that we omitted a really important thing, which is that I think actually the Elemist just did this whole thing with the Harpajir. You know, he wanted the Harpajir to be free. Like you said, Gray, it's like a questionable plan, but really he did it because he wanted an excuse to offer Tobias his morphing power back. Because, I mean, as we've seen in this book, he's all about the Animorphs being there and having powers and like the Animorphs are like his favorites. So clearly he just set up the scenario because he like kind of knew like Tobias is gonna like Tobias isn't gonna put up with this. He's gonna demand payment, and then I'll have an excuse to uh, give him his morphing power back. That totally dick. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what. Yeah, I mean, he did it for multiple reasons, but that was a, a big one. I don't like him. <laughs> I'm I'm a little worried that I'm already on the side of whatever the dark. Do you know power what the other power is? No, but I'm a little worried I'm okay. going to be on its All side right. because I really don't like the Elemist. <laughs> They're going to show up and be like, listen, the Elemist has these stupid rules and they just interfere. And I'll be like, yeah. What if the great being that was laughing was the dark <gasps> and not the Elemist? I think it's pretty consistent with the Elemist character to be laughing there, but right. you're right. It could be either one. Oh, I was just going to point out the really excellent line about, um, so Lauren's going to the to the human doctor. And Elfingor is like, although human doctors were practically barbarians who could not even eliminate a simple tumor without cutting holes in a person, which was... You should have been a doctor then, buddy. Really, yeah, Why there are, are so many things exist? he could have been. He wanted to, I guess, push human technology forward, which actually, unless it's a pocket universe, in which case it's irrelevant, but of course he wouldn't know that. He breaks the law of serious kindness yeah, so many times. That. Right. So many times. So it's not even really about seeing potential human kids. Yeah, it's not even out it's of character. A, I mean, it's grows. also that, but yeah. It turned out, much to my surprise, that I seldom fell over, even with just two legs. So um, he's doing better than X. <laughs> so yeah, there's no book for you to predict, predict Gray. But <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about what you think 
we will learn more about from the loose ends here. You were already saying Lauren's a, a missing mom who hasn't been, or you haven't seen a body, but are there other things you expect to come back or get resolved or that you hope we see more of? I do hope we see a little more of Elfingor's development post pocket universe. Mm-hmm. Because as you were saying... Between 83 kind of, and 96. Yes, exactly. Um, that those those 13 years seem important to his mm-hmm. character, and I would love to see more of that. Well, I'm excited to see more of the Elemist and its foe, and how that's all going to play out. Are you excited? Is that the right word? <laughs> I am... Uh, resigned. Resigned. <laughs> that is what I am. I am resigned. I think we should go to the next Chronicles book and have you predict it. Because I think the Chronicles can be their own prediction continuity. Okay. Oh, great. Should should we should we ever do that? Yeah. What's all the right. next one? The ne- do you want to guess what the next one will be, first of all? I think it's the Horkbeger Chronicles. It is the Horkbeger Chronicles. Okay, you it should look up mentioned. the cover. Great. Oh, my goodness. at the cover. Um, okay, well, first of all... What does it look like? Okay, so you know how there was that thing at the beginning where the Hork-Bajir kind of looked like chickens? Yeah. Yeah. And I could not picture that at all. Yeah. I see it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. First representation of a Hork-Bajir you've ever oh, seen. Oh, so true. Yeah. Uh, this is a Hork-Bajir standing next to an Andalite. Mm-hmm. The Andalite, I'm pretty sure, has a torso. Otherwise, it can't possibly be this time. <laughs> well, um, they always have torsos on the covers. That's why it's, it's a the lie. Propaganda. Yeah. yeah. The Andalites are all about propaganda. This is a very minor point, but one of the things I love about this cover is that the hork is so green that the light is reflecting green onto the head of the Andalite. So the Andalite so has a green cool. shadow. You are correct. That's amazing. Yeah. I, every time I look at an Andalite head, I'm like, where is the mouth all right? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so where are they? This is a very... Um, What's going to happen in these chronicles? Okay, let's see. So... Um, the problem is, there's what I would like them to be about, and then there's no chance okay. that that's actually well, going to be about. What would you both. like it Give to be both. about? What I would like it to be is this Andalite to be Alaran, and uh-huh. for there to be more information about the backstory of what happened on the Hork-Bajir okay. homeworld. Okay. Because I think that would be really interesting, and I'd like to know more about the Hork-Bajir. I would particularly like to know how a uh, species of aliens that has adapted to eat bark in its mm-hmm. peaceful vegetarian cow-like homeworld <laughs> also learned how to use those same you know blade things in battle mm-hmm. because it seems like just because you have blades that you use for bark bark doesn't fight back how did you figure out how to use those to fight people yeah we have fists most of us don't know how to use them very well it's true that's why people break their thumbs so it's <laughs> true i uh that's what i would like to be about i'd like that to be alaran and this to be his horpageur buddy and for them to be on adventures and for there to be an actual good reason for this stupid quantum virus thing mm-hmm. i suspect okay. instead so you want a complete whitewashing of alaran <laughs> <laughs> no, he can be bad. I mean, the universe wouldn't really do that. They would show the complexity of the decision. Yeah, and, yeah. I, yeah. I just want more of that. So you want to come wanna... around to the attempted genocide, <laughs> or at least have more context for it and understand why he yeah. thought that it was just the genocide's already happened. A tragedy. I want to know more about it. A tragedy, as yeah. is the case okay. in these prequels. They sometimes end in complete tragedy because. We were picking up, like, the story we most care about is so much later. Yeah. Okay, instead, I'm guessing that this is actually um, Alfengor mm-hmm. again, and that we're going back to this maybe 13-year gap. Oh, okay. And that's not what you want to happen? Well, I think that would also be fun. Okay. There are lots of options. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's going to be him and his sort of buddy fighting Yerks. 
Any okay. other familiar characters? Oh, God, I hope the Elmas doesn't come back. <laughs> uh, Visser 332, whatever his number is at the time, he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. It's good to have the big bad, yeah, you know, yeah. hanging around. And um, Aloran's um, wife, whatever her name was. Jahar. 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 Yeah. So not to say that you're wrong, but the mistake you said you made with the Andalite Chronicles was thinking it was about Andalites and not one Andalite. <laughs> So I just want to I just want to point out oh. if the Hork-Bajir Chronicles is just about one Hork-Bajir, right? Who is it? Oh, oh, is it um, uh, Jeremy? Is it Jeremy? Oh, I hope it's Jeremy. <laughs> I hope it's Jeremy and his wife. I liked them. I would really like They're it really if it's them. Yeah. This is Jeremy and how he met Cal, whatever her name Ket. was, Cat Helpak, Cat Helpak, and um, their adventures before the Yerks get him. Oh. oh, I hope it's that. That would make me happy. Okay, well, you have, like, three good theories here. Okay. So, so yeah, we'll see in, like, ten books or so whenever we get to the Verpeteer Chronicles. We'll see that sounds great. Yeah. Stay tuned, listeners. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. I, I hope you don't mind if I delete, like, half of everything we said about the timeline. Please do. We talked for, like, three hours. How dare you? Not quite. Of course you may.